Welcome to another episode of Wild and Exposed, your wildlife photography and outdoor adventure podcast. This week's show features special guest Shane McGuire, and your hosts are Michael Morrow, coming to you from Anchorage, Alaska, Ron Hayes from Douglas, Wyoming, and myself, Mark Raycroft from Ontario, Canada. So get comfortable as we're going to hear about the lifestyle of a professional wildlife and nature photography guide and behind the scenes and all that she's experienced being a teacher and an educator over the decades and the amazing places that Shane has traveled around the planet. Shane is a award-winning, very talented and world-traveled wildlife photographer. We've been trying to have Shane on for some time, and thankfully, we have a window of opportunity in her busy <laughs> workshop schedule to have her sit down and talk with us about what she does and to share that with you. Shane, welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you, gentlemen, for having me. Very much an honor. Looking forward to uh, actually meeting you guys in person sometime. That would be Likewise. great. Yeah, I love I, your work, your social media feed. We've been on that for at least a couple of years, I believe. I've been following you on there and enjoying it. And your travels are to places where most wildlife and nature photographers dream to go. You got Antarctica, Svalbard, Africa, Kenya, migrations in, in Africa, Botswana, Prudhoe Bay, Alaska, Kodiak. You do polar bears, you go to Juneau, you live in Southern California. It sounds like. You're living the dream. It sounds that way, but remember the word job also is, you know, part of that description. I'm truly blessed in what I get to do for working with the expedition ships in the Arctic and Antarctica is truly a dream for me. And I meet so many wonderful people. It's nice to help other people out there. And I get to see things that I couldn't afford to pay for to go see these and to work it is wonderful. And I meet a lot of nice people on my tours as well. And I work with some of my best friends as far as my captains and my guides. So it it's always a job, but my office has one of the best views in the world. Well said. Absolutely. Yeah. So I followed Shane for a few years and we messaged back and forth a couple different times, even looked at taking a couple of trips um, with her in the past. And one of the things that always you know, I'm a marine wildlife guy, even being from Wyoming. So seeing your images of the whales and the penguins and that kind of thing has always intrigued me. And and when we started to do this show, you were one of the first people that I thought about, you know, I was trying to get you on for a guest. So tell us how, how did you get started in the, the wildlife with the wildlife tours? You've been a photographer for a long time, right? Right. Uh, since film days, I probably have cameras older than some of you gentlemen. I taught at a photography school uh, since 2003. I actually was a student there, and it wasn't to learn photography. I was already doing stuff in, my, in a dark room in my apartment. I wanted to learn how to print my own stuff so it looked better than Walmart. Uh, so I stayed at the school for a long time, graduated. It was a credentialed school, and they came back to me about two years later and said, we want you to complete this credentialing course and go back to college and get a degree. We want you to teach. I said, why? I'm ethereal. Everybody else here is structured. And they go, we want the kind of out there. So I did go to this, uh, get through the credentialing. So I'm a Southern California credentialed commercial photographer, taught at the school for 17 years. 
Uh, it was all film-based when I first started teaching there. It swapped to digital. Now, when it was film, I went to England, Ireland, Scotland. I shot medium format. I shot infrared. I shot black and white. I shot every type of film there was, slide film, didn't matter. And I sold my work at Scottish and Irish festivals all over the U.S., some of the top of the line. I got juried into some very uh, prestigious shows. As soon as digital hit, people went from saying your work is too, you need to charge more, you don't charge enough, to saying you charge too much, but my prices hadn't changed. I realized people's perception of actually paying for a print that was hand done in the darkroom had. I knew I needed to change careers and I still love photography and I still love teaching people. My first love has always been wildlife. So I went and started shooting some wildlife and I would bring it back in my classroom and I would start talking about lighting and the subject came up, why don't you do a tour and take us? And I was kind of shocked at that and I went, well, I, let me look into it. So I did a little bit more and got together with some of my friends and went and tried out guides. Do you know what it's like to try out a guide that you know is not gonna work within the first five minutes? I could tell stories, so, but I wanted to make sure that my people had the best experience and the experience of going out for photography should not only be your instructor, it should be your guide, where you are. Is your guide knowledgeable? Does he know the wildlife? Does he know how to get you in good positions? You know, it, without stressing the wildlife. It's, it's, you know, about the wildlife enjoying the encounter as much as the human. So it took me several years of going through people till I rounded off some tours. And I started bringing people from the school. I, I would say 100% of my people were students from the school. And I remember I opened up a tour in Africa with a company and they wanted me to bring 10 people and I sold out in 40 minutes. And then I got emails from people going, we're so happy we're going. And I went, you're not on the tour. I'm sold out. They had to open up a second one. And I had two back to back sold out and I was in Africa a month. And I will tell you why it's a wonderful job. It does take a toll of a month, you know, of just constant every day you want to make sure your clients have the best time and the best views and when things get slow I take it personal which I shouldn't I'm starting to slowly get over that but you guys can go out by yourselves and you can sit and talk and if something doesn't show up for five hours you're fine when you have clients and something doesn't show up for five hours I don't right. have stomach lining left mm. sure. <laughs> you get my drift because I want people to have the absolute best experience and it's not just a trip, it's an experience. You should come home with memories, fun, have a good time, have good sightings, and learn something along the way for the trip. And so I probably stress myself out too much sometimes trying to make pe sure people have the absolute best experience out there, even sometimes when it's not under my control anymore. You know, I still want them to come back and say, hey, it was a great time. I got great photos. Mm -hmm. Well, there's certainly elements out of, out of your control, but from looking at your photos and, and given how quickly your trips, your workshops book up, then, you know, for the most part, I'm sure it's very successful. In fact, I saw on Instagram just today, you're posting an Africa workshop that you're only taking four people. Yeah, I, I was sold out and the lodge took a little bit of time getting me back the invoice and so two were able to drop out. So I have two spots open but uh, I only yeah I did have it sold out and that's the thing is I really should be quicker on some things it's 
but it's only four people. You should be able to go down, sit down, relax. I take over the whole Jeep. I take over the whole boat so that everybody is has the room. You don't have to share with anybody else. And it's just the four people and me out there. Right. It's a, I, the one I came back off of, I hate to use the word epic, but it was We off. do all the time, oh, yeah. Shane. It all was happens. off scale. I will tell you that uh, the Botswana tour and my, my all three of my Juno tours were completely beyond expectations uh, of everything that goes down. And so, okay, this is one of the things I wanted to ask you about. You just kind of led right into it. So you've got, and, and one of the, I guess, images that people go there for or things that people go there to see during the migration is the, the wildebeest crossing the rivers. Yeah. So you got a shot of a dust cloud with wildebeest popping out of it everywhere. Is it, now, was that on one of these trips? That was on the migration trip last year. And that was, I don't have a lot of images that I look back and gone, wow, I took that. That's, I, I know one of the ones you're talking about. And when the wildebeest, they started to cross and they went back and this went on for like two hours, which it can happen. They changed their mind. It didn't cross. And all of a sudden when they decided to cross, it was 20 minutes of wow. And I let my people go the first four minutes of and then when I hear it start to slow, I said, okay, let's work on composition. I said, pull back, zoom in, go sideways. They're jumping the log, wait for them to come out of the dust. Now go up there. They drop down another way. Now go this way. They're dropping another way. Pull back, get the whole dust. They're in the water with the dust cloud. Go to that. So I'm sitting there because with the first five minutes when they hit their first crossing, you can't get anything out of them. It just, it's rapid gunfire. And then when they slow down, I go, I take the reins back and I go, let's work on the composition. I was watching them jump that log and I switched and said, go to vertical guys. And I just happened to hit it right when one jumped right out of the dust cloud. It was not anticipated. It just, uh, we call it luck at right time, right place Yep. Of, of being able to get that. I was so happy. I, I don't, checked like to see oh i got 10 likes on facebook or i got 20 likes on facebook every once in a while somebody will comment that i really look up to and that is a really nice thing i remember piper mckay commented on it and i i think the world of her in fact when we were both at the smithsonian together because she was up when i was up uh, i followed her around and i go you don't know me but i want to tell you i think the world of you <laughs> you know you're awesome so when somebody like that comments on your photo it means a lot more to me that it's a moment that you just get out of time. So, mm -hmm. But that was, to me, some of the most, um, it was 20 minutes of the best photography you were ever going to get. And yeah. it's just reminding people because they'll keep the camera on the beanbag and they'll continue just to shoot. And then you hear the shutter frame start slowing and you see them start to go, well, what else can I do with this? And that's when I step in and go, okay, now we're going to play. Yeah, that's living was, a moment. Sounds well, like a lot of fantastic fun. Fantastic image. Yeah. It's one of those that you just go, wow. It's it was just amazing to get. And the nice thing about um, I don't bring my husband along on every trip, but he came along on that one as he runs video for me. So oh, it was awesome. great for him. He was in another Jeep. It was great for him to run the video. Excellent. Because so, the video sometimes I can have a picture of a whale you know, swimming past the boat. But when I put a video and you hear the blows of the whale, 
it adds a lot more to the experience of being there than just seeing a picture of it. Mm-hmm. And the migration, you hear all the dust and the chaos as they cross. Is the video something for you and your library, or is it for promotion of the workshops, or is it for the people on the workshops too that they Oh, see they, can, they can have it. I put it up on Facebook. If anybody wants it, they can have it. But I also use it to promote the migration. You can see the pictures of the, the animals jumping out of the dust, but when you see the video, it's, uh, it's an incentive for people to want to be there and, and experience that moment too. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially yeah. when you're when you're in the workshop business, you want to see what's possible. The dream experience. Well, when I run, when I work on the ships, um, a lot of people come on with point and shoots, and they like the porpoising penguin shot. And with a point and shoot, it's really hard to get that shot or a foam because by the time you hit the button, it's gone. And I tell them run video because it's much more impressive to your friends when you have the penguins going like this out of the water you can have one still but when you run the video and they get to see all the movement to their friends it's much more impressive and to them it's a better memory to be able to go back and watch and hear the sights and sounds so i do recommend video a lot to even the people on my workshops and tours do you know get some sights get some sounds of the experiences going on and this last uh, Juno tour, my captain lowered the the audio so they could hear the whales singing before the bubble feed. And that means I, I've seen women cry. Sure. Mm-hmm. So on your workshops now, given the capabilities of modern cameras, do you find you're suggesting to people more and more frequently to shoot video compared to stills? Is that a component of the workshop? You know, it depends on some moments going down. Some people just want the still shot and some people... Um, it depends on their photographic ability, too, on some things. And I've had whales, uh, we have to stay 100 yards away from them. I've had whales go down 150 yards up the boat and come up under the boat. At that point, there's no point in trying to take a picture of anything. And I, really, I tell them, don't even try your phone. Just sit there and enjoy the sights and sound that came to say hi. But if they're going by the boat close and they're trying to snap stills, I say run video. To me, it's just bringing back wonderful memories of hearing that again to them. But in Africa, we had uh, lions with a uh, pumba, a warthog. And the hyenas came in, they were fighting over the carcass, and my husband's running video. And you just see a lioness with the carcass, and you see a hyena. And the next thing the hyena has it, and is the video, you don't see it go down. I got the still. And he's snatching it right underneath her legs. So when I put the still up, people were like, that's nice till you see the video. And it went in a blip. You didn't even see it on the video. So it's nice to put the two together and go stills caught what the video missed. But the video has the sights, sounds, and excitement that the still doesn't have. Right. Does that kind of... Yeah, it's, it's this difficult time because I want to do both. Because different scenarios capture different aspects of the experience. And for storytelling nowadays, so many people do on various platforms on the internet, both mediums are easily applicable that you can upload. So, to, but you can't. I mean, I have yet to figure out a way to master doing both simultaneously. I had somebody with a GoPro strapped to their head one time. They <laughs> multitasking, you right. know. Michael has Michael has broadened our horizons as far as video storytelling goes, so. You know what's amazing, though, and when I was working on the ship in Norway, 
I had 98% cell phones. So I was teaching them time lapse on there and slow motion video. I was teaching them fun things to do with their phone, which they didn't know about. And I showed them slow motion video on a waterfall and a couple of things they thought was nice. And I go, but don't stop there. I said a bubble feed with the hump humpbacks last maybe two seconds. And I said, I kind of timed it where I thought I'd hit it right. And I put up the video in slow motion of the humpbacks bubble netting. And you got to see so much more in that 15 seconds of slow motion video than you're ever going to see in two seconds of doing it. And I think both of them add to great storytelling. Definitely. And there's scenarios like that. We had that good fortune this a couple of weeks ago with the orcas off the coast of Alaska where they approached the boat that was turned off. And it was one of those scenarios where I just couldn't take still photos because mm -hmm. they were coming to war. But when they surfaced, it was so brief. But by shooting it in slow motion, exactly like you're saying, it prolongs that experience and that presentation and was created a memory that just is so much more vivid because of that slow motion. I think that's wonderful. You did that. It's hard for me to explain to clients. They may have uh, say something surfaced or came right up to the thing and they got a picture of an eyeball or a face or a fluke or something. They put it up on social media. Social media doesn't understand the experience of being that close because the still picture has got like, you know, maybe this part of a flipper or maybe this part of a lion's eye. It, the video to me engages the viewer when things are that close where still isn't going to tell the story. I mean, to you, it's like it's this close. and it's, But do you want to impart what you went through to your viewers? And I think that's when video comes in. However, some people will run five to 10 minutes worth of video. And, you know, we all have the attention span of a goldfish. So <laughs> you're laughing, but it's got to be pretty quick. Oh, no, we're not laughing Sorry, at all. I missed, I missed what you said the, there, Shane. Sorry. I, I said we, uh, you said with <laughs> No, video, I'm joking about the okay. attention span. <laughs> it went, yeah, I went on too long. Sorry, guys. No, not at all. We're, we're encouraging. <laughs> That's, no. Mike, Michael's been editing the some of our YouTube um, content, and it's it's that debate in, that he's been going through. Do you use the real short clips, or do you give people a minute of certain behavior, or you know, what do you do and how do you do it? It's We're funny like because I loaded my video up for Botswana today on uh, the Wild Compass site. And it says, note, videos longer than three minutes get shared more. No, they don't. Who wrote this? Oh, my God. Where have you been? <laughs> it's when I used to put out my promotional videos, they'd be three to five minutes. And I have a very good friend who's a videographer and that's all he does for a living. And he came over and sat down one day and he goes, No. <laughs> I said, okay, if I go over 45 seconds, he yells at me. And he's correct. And the video I put up today started out with a lot more photos in it. And then I put it through and I go, what can I get away from? What can I take away from? What better showcases? What's this? What's that? Uh, okay, I've got four bears. I need to go to this. It's You start weeding, and I will run it through a couple of times trial. If I get tired of looking at an image, I automatically yank it. It's, it's a tough procedure, you know, and Michael has one of the best suggestions that he'll put on a show or a clip to other people, friends or family that are around. And the moment they look away, he knows that's the time. Very good. Yes. Right. Yeah. And, and it's true. We have the attention span of a goldfish. I mean, if you go to Facebook or YouTube or anything and you go to click on a video and you see it's three minutes, how many of you continue even to click? I do because I'm depends interested. On the, yeah, depends um, on the video. The if it's but if it's ten minutes, still, 
It's a matter of I I don't look at the time frame. I'm engaged with the content, and then if the content keeps me there, I'll stay with it. You know, if after one minute or two minutes or three minutes it slips off, then there, you know that's a chance I might bail. And that's interesting because we've been talking to other people who have successful platforms on these social media yeah. sites like YouTube. And there are other things that you can do. And one thing that we learned for our YouTube applications is to put in the links for other for other shows that we've done, other episodes, yeah. other blogs at those critical points when we feel there could be a loss of interest. Even though we feel the vlog has a purpose for that duration, but at yeah. two minutes, you know, if people typically pull the plug at two minutes, let's put another teaser in there at two minutes. There are ways to try and work around that. And, you know, we've been doing that on our YouTube channel. But, you know, definitely attention span is something that we all, when marketing or presenting our work, have to pay attention to. And I'm hoping it's, I doubt it's lengthening, but the, the market seems to be, developing more of a, a taste again for a little bit longer clips. I'm, I'm hoping that's true. Hey, Michael, what are you, what are you finding? I guess uh, we haven't been doing we're it. We're not long finding anything. It's, we're going to try. <laughs> <laughs> I it's think, really yeah. I think it's a matter of just trying it out. And if you got some really compelling stuff and you want to let it go for a long time, you know, you, you can almost treat it like a screensaver, you know? So if you have proper sound and you have proper video and it's really compelling, you, I, I don't know. We just came up with this idea the other day because I shoot a ton of video and these guys are starting to shoot more video now too. You end up with all this stuff that will never see the light of day unless you figure out some way to use it. So why not put it out there? If people want to consume it, great. If they don't, you know, the beautiful thing is people can turn it off anytime they want. They can go watch it whatever they want, whenever they want. And I think, you know, this YouTube or this uh, MTV generation that, kind of spawn that fast turnaround stuff where you leave a clip up for two seconds and you're on to something else. Hopefully that'll subside and people will appreciate, especially with nature, right? I could see, you know, if you're shooting corporate video or something, yeah, you don't want to leave it on too long. But if, so the other day we were shooting uh, salmon underwater with some cameras. And wow, so, awesome. you know, it was kind of an experiment for us. But then when, after we looked at it, we're like, wow, this is kind of cool. But you got all this cool footage because we were trying so many different things. You end up with a bunch of cool clips. And I just thought, well, let's just put it up there. If people watch it, great. If not, and but the cool thing about that is, is people don't get to see what goes on underwater. So if you can show that, you might get someone that wants to pay attention a lot longer because yeah. it's nature and it's what goes on. And do you know why I'd watch it? Is there... Well, very much so. It could definitely fill that gap, right? Because it's just kind of, it's almost like white noise when you're trying to go to sleep. Yeah, that's what's nice. Uh, the, go ahead. Sorry, the, just the, the fireplace channel or whatever craziness that was, yeah. that people put it on the fake fireplace. Well, don't put on the fake fireplace, put on the underwater salmon yeah. spawning. And, but there were people who made it through that clip. Many people did. I'm not sure how many bailed earlier, but there are comments through through our YouTube channel talking about how they were able to watch some of the behavior of the fish, jousting for yeah. spots, and how the female had that little spawning bed, and, and other females couldn't come in, and the males came in, and they looked so, it was, so if you sit through it, and, and it's something they do in the background, then yeah. why not? But if the fireplace can win, spawning salmon, <laughs> ah, no problem. And the fish tank, and, you know. Well, my like, other thought right. process on all that is, is I think people, you know, more and more people have that disconnect from nature, right? 
And a lot of yeah. them can't get to see what we see. If you could show someone, you know, you were saying earlier, if people, we can sit there for five hours, if nothing's going on, we're fine with that. Well, if we could show what's going on for five hours, people might be, get a different appreciation. Someone that lives in the city might say, huh, that isn't so bad. That isn't boring. That is pretty cool. There's something going on all the time. It just may yeah. not be, you know, this wild and crazy thing that's happening in front of you, but it's what goes on in nature all the time. It's where you are, too. Your experience of sitting out there and enjoying where you are, and you're not behind your desk. You're out enjoying something. And what you said about the video, um, and you said you inserted little things when you thought there would be a lull. When I taught at the school, I did, we were talking about portfolios. So the next week they all brought theirs in. And what I noticed is they would lead with their first like five or six great images and then it would tail. And I said, okay, you've lost me by image 10 because you started off with such great images that you couldn't follow. I said, put in one great one, a couple of nice, another great one to keep me wanting to turn the page and then cut half of these out of there. You know what I mean? If yeah. I go great, 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 and then I go mediocre, mediocre, okay, I my interest is going to wane with the photos, but it's it's like the sled dog wants to turn the corner to know what's behind it. So I see a great image, a nice image, I turn the page, ooh, another great one. You want to keep turning the pages to the portfolio to see what they have. I said, don't hit me with everything here and then throw in a bunch of junk at the end. And I don't mean junk in a bad way. You know what I mean. Yeah. But you can post wonderful um, photos of the, the caribou and then you get that one in the fall color and the velvet on and my knees go to jelly guys when I see that it's just fantastic images all of your images are fantastic and you guys go out and work for them but I'll look them go wonderful wonderful oh knee buckle I just buckled that is just fantastic and that's what you put in a portfolio or you put in a video if you start the video out you know with wonderful wonderful and then you go to just normal it, the person wanes with that. Um, my thoughts, I'll ask you yours. I like hashtag knee buckle. <laughs> <laughs> we used to use that uh, when, when I sold my work at festivals. If somebody came in and looked at a photo and you saw the knees drop two inches, yeah, yeah. I had a sale. You, and we called it the knee buckle, meaning, oh, you, you just they look at it and they go, whoa. And I go, sale. You, know, you knew it was a sale before they turned around. And images can do that to me. I'll just look at one, and it is a hashtag knee buckle. It's like, wow, that is just absolutely fantastic. You know, it's an amazing image, and you should be very proud of that. That's the first I've heard of this. I love it. And, you love and, knee buckle. <laughs> yeah, and and I, I love your how it came to be too. And you're right. You know, you can see the 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 visceral response of the person to the image. You can tell. You know, if they've become engaged with it, and and often it's physical like that. So. Because people can look at a photo and go, nice, they're okay. And then they look at something, they go, whoa. I mean, that's a knee buckle. It's a whoa. You and start writing up the receipt right then. Yeah, it, right, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's because uh, I sold English. Change, and, change I, the price. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, my husband was wonderful because I, I sold Scottish uh, castles too. And people would come in to buy their heritage. And I usually liked if it didn't have a roof. But I had a gentleman come in one day and he was looking at, some photos, his wife was not uh, apparently of that clan. And he looked at one of my big photos and he says, I really like this. And his wife goes, well, we have something similar. And she was not very helping. And my husband reached down and pulled out a huge black and white, all hand done in the dark room of the castle because you don't have this. 
his knees buckled the minute my husband pulled it out. And his wife went to say, we already, he went, shut up. And, just, <laughs> and I went, whoa, but that knee buckle, you just knew it's God. You know, it just hit him that hard. And the great thing for me is that was taken on medium format film. I developed the film myself. It was black and white and I printed it myself in the dark room. It's all hand done. That's, that's the long gone art that people don't do anymore. Definitely. It's but I think you're, rare. you're, so having that knowledge of doing all that stuff in the dark room, if you look at your stuff now with your digital stuff, even just the stuff I'm looking at on Instagram, it definitely has that, it has that crisp, it has that edge, it has that look. And how much of that old knowledge are you bringing into the new techniques like Photoshop and Lightroom or whatever Everything. you use? Everything. Uh, dark room, you know, like my, when I taught black and white classes, I said, I could look at something and tell you when I was shooting it, you know, with black and white, you put a filter over it to increase like the greens or the reds or block this or block that. When I look at a photo now, I look at a photo that has black and white potential. I already know, shoot it. And I'm going to use this filter on it. Uh, when I process it, it's hard to convey that to people. I had an elephant in high sun in Botswana getting ready to dust off and I yelled at my group shoot it and they go the suns I go it's not going to be a color photo and it wasn't because I looked the background was green that's one filter the elephants in blue light that's another filter I know those two filters will set each other off I know it'll pull it away from the background it was a crap color photo it was a beautiful black and white photo that darkroom knowledge enables me to see things and go this is going to work. That's not going to work. And I hear I'll fix it in Photoshop. And I went, if you have to fix it, you see, and plus shooting uh, a lot of the bears I shoot like at Kodiak, they don't come at me with the sun in their eyes. They come at me with the sun in my eyes because they want to see me. It's going to be a high key. I automatically shoot that way and process that way. Everything I learned in the dark room has been a wonderful teaching tool. And I actually shot, infrared black and white film and when i went to have a body converted and i called up the company he goes you won't have a problem you've already shot the film the darkroom teaching has been wonderful so how much of that are you able to i mean when you take a group out typically what is it a week 10 days yeah anywhere from yeah, Juno's probably my shortest at five so anywhere from five uh well, that's six days to two weeks. So how much of that are you able to, how much are you able to pass on to your clients during that? I, I guess it depends on the client, obviously. Yeah, but I, I want to give 100% and I like to sit down and explain why I see things the way I do. I get some people and who are very dear to me that come on and they're like sponges and they'll soak up everything that I want to tell them. I have other people that come on saying, I want to learn from you. And the minute they step on board, they don't want to learn from me. They just want to argue. And I haven't shot it this way. And so-and-so shoots this way. And I went, well, they're not shooting this. And, and it becomes really an unpleasant journey for both of us. And I could teach people so much. And I learn from people, too. We all still learning. I mean, I've screwed up and learned something. I went, hey, that worked. <laughs> I didn't mean for it to screw up, but I screwed up and it worked. And I went on and taught it to somebody else. And they said, my God, how'd you figure that out? And I went, I screwed up, but it worked. I, 
I can look at light and I can tell you your white balance. I can tell you what to set your camera at. I know if it's a Canon, an Nikon, I know a Sony, you know, you know, all the cameras, you know, the lenses, you say, do this, do this, shoot a practice shot. And you can, it's, I can set your camera up like film. You want Fuji film? You want Kodak film? You know, what kind of film do you want? I can set your camera up to reproduce that. You're laughing. But when I shot nature and film so long, I knew where I was going, what film to bring that would accent that. I'm laughing at Mark's face because when you said Kodak film, he was, you know, you don't want that. Yeah. I was like all Velvia Kodak's like, there's no color. Why shoot Kodak? Kodak VS, very saturated and the slot canyons. Too yellow, too orange. No, I shot your Velvia down there. It looked horrible. Yeah. Mark's never been to the slot canyon. So he doesn't know what you're talking about. I do. I do. So if I visualize the red rock canyons, I get that. Because you don't want the green hue of Velvia. I was just generally saying I did use that, the Kodak yeah. VS, but in a lot of the wildlife situations, it had. No, no. Right, right. No. Okay. No. We're on the same page. I, we can I, high five on that. I used Velvia and Provia for the wildlife, actually. I bet for the. Yeah. I, I wouldn't have shot VS on any wildlife whatsoever. Yeah. So you did learn what, what to do it for. But as, as to go back to your question, I would love to impart 100%. Not everybody that comes on has that expectation that they actually have to learn something. Yeah, and I'm sure you're you're looking at a career's worth of knowledge and then to be able to pass that on, people have to have the capacity to understand that and learn that as well. But that I guess yeah, my question probably better stated should have been how much of that do you try to impart? And I, I know that it depends on the group, of course, but just for people to get an idea that, you know, they're going to go along with you. They're going to have an opportunity to get some great images, but they're also going to have the opportunity to learn from a, you know, a whatever, 20, 30 year career. Well, the so, thing is, is it's the value of what you know, what you bring. Not many people have that anymore. You know, how many no. people were very proficient in the darkroom that are still shooting? Not many. So having that, mm. knowledge, that's why I could see that immediately when you just look at the images, you just know, okay. This is, there's something different, and I'd encourage everybody to go look at her Instagram account because I think you'll see it right away. With each image is is perfect, and you look at whether it's a black and white, a color. I mean, it's all there. I laugh because somebody wrote, "Do you ever take a bad image?" And I went, "I take lots of bad images. I just try not to post them." Yeah. <laughs> I don't mean, of course, that way. I mean, we all have that experience. Why would you show? You know, I I don't, and I look back at some of the things I posted five years ago and went, wow, really, I posted that? And if I look at somebody and they're just starting out and they're posting decent images, you try to encourage that. If they start posting not good images, don't encourage it. And then if they go back three years from now and they're still not cleaning themselves up, then they don't have, you know, your mom's supposed to like your work on Facebook. That's what I tell people. It's when you see somebody that you really look up to that likes your work is when you know, okay, I, I've made a cut above. And teaching class, that was really hard to get them to step back and take, you know, I, I don't want to say critical. So if somebody brought in a photo for finals and there was 33 things wrong with it, I picked one and we talked about the one. And then you let it go. You don't sit there and beat a dead horse with what you know. 
because you can sit there and go, okay, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, it's not going to work. People come out and the prime example was um, like the whales. Somebody joined that tour and I said, okay, I can't I can guarantee you whales. I can't guarantee you their behavior. And the question was, so you know exactly where the whale is going to breach and at what time so we can have our lenses pointed. And I went, no, I don't. And that became an issue because they weren't able to get a breacher. I can give you all the knowledge. I cannot give you the ability to be able to grab something that just came out of the water out of nowhere. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Reasonable animal minds. Yeah, to answer your question, when I teach people on the ship, I do it the same way as I do on my tours. I give them knowledge as needed. So if you fill their head with too much, it explodes. They can't digest it, and they let it go. So go, okay, first day we're going to go out. This is the shutter speeds we're kind of looking for. This is the light you're looking for, da-da-da-da. Something comes across. I said, okay, guys, this just changed, so let's change your white balance. Let me tell you why this works a little bit better. And then it may go to this. I go, why don't you put a polarizer on? Let's talk about why the polarizer works. If you hit them with all this the night before, it becomes Drano. It doesn't soak in. So I kind of give them a starting point, and then as we go on, and so I go, do you know back button focus? No, here, let me teach you. You're going to love this. Yeah, I know. I see that look. <laughs> he has that look. So it's I, it's baby steps. Even, you know, I've had pros on before that I've gone, can, can I show you one thing? And they're like, wow, it's made a whole big difference to them. But I like to feel out the person. What are they comfortable with? Some people are already in over their head. Let them settle until they get comfortable and then you start giving them little pointers and some people come on and they they say give me everything uh, one of the stories that when i work on the ship they laughed we were getting on the last zodiac it was the last landing in antarctica we're going to go back to ushuaia a guy comes up to me and he goes um, i need to talk to you so well, we only have five minutes and he said well teach me everything you know about photography that should only take five minutes i'll let you think on that for a minute mm-hmm. yeah good luck But yeah, but that's some people think it's that easy. And when they find out you have to work for it, it sometimes doesn't, you know, settle out very good. Yeah. Uh, The guy that taught me, I'm sure he had the same, he had the same thing running through his mind because it was no, because he's telling me everything. He's going, how does the, how does the sensor process the photons of light that are coming through the lens? And I'm like, no, I just want to know how to take pictures like that. Yeah. <laughs> Have I had because, you on a tour before? <laughs> I will say that was a long time ago, but uh, also it, you don't know what you don't know. I think that's that yeah. in essence is the, the conundrum when people have that, have that outlook on, your ability to teach them in five minutes. So we get this question all the time from listeners. Do you do do your your stuff in Lightroom? Are you Photoshop? Do you use something else? With that background knowledge in the darkroom, what's your favorite tool? Good question. I... When I taught at the photography school, of course, there was Photoshop before there was Lightroom. Well, there was Darkroom before there was Photoshop. I got into Photoshop a little bit. The classes they ran at the school, however, to learn Photoshop was how to make women look 20 
take 40 pounds off of them, make their legs look longer, how to make men that were 20 look 80, you know, by adding all the wrinkles and stuff. And it just, nobody taught how to do this. So I kind of pushed buttons on there till I found how things worked myself. I'm still teaching myself some. I don't have anything to do with Lightroom because I know this much of Photoshop. I mostly shoot a lot good in camera, but one of my best tools that I've taught classes on is Topaz. And like I've, I've taught like denoising classes and that, and I've taught, you know, I don't want to teach, if you're spending more time on your image fixing it, then, you know, you should, then leave it alone and go retake it. That's just basically what I have to tell people. Uh, if you're, if it's that, unless it's, you know, a photo that it's a one of a kind, it's the only thing you got. Yeah. I said, put it away, put it away for a while, then come back to it later when you get your knowledge better. Uh, when Danny and I were first shooting digital out there, we both had crop sensor bodies, not that good of lenses because my, all my stuff was tied up into print film cameras and I got some photos, but once you hit, remember when ISO 2000 was horrible. And I have some great bear photos at ISO 2500, which were not printable. Uh, with the denoising now, it's amazing. Those images look great. So, I mean, I held on to them, and, you know, I've learned a little bit to do that. Can you explain what that topaz is, just so that our audience will know? Because I think <laughs> some people won't know. Topaz is a plug-in, and it's from Topaz Labs. They... I usually only teach that. That's pretty much all I use. But they had a Topaz Denoise. Now they have an AI Clear, which I like. It adds a little bit of sharpening along with denoising the image. I shot rhinos at 20,000 ISO in the dark at Botswana. The, the body didn't need that much help, but it cleaned the image up nicely without trying to over-sharpen things and without blurring things too badly. And it just... Then they made different, more better versions of it. I don't like that. I tend to stick with the lower end that doesn't do a lot to the image. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I've, I've taught them a few things with the Topaz Labs and a couple of things that I've used. And is uh, that a plugin for Lightroom and Photoshop or is it either? Yes, it I is. think it is, right? It is. It's for both. And I know some people use Nick's um, Define. I couldn't stand that at all. I really didn't like it. You get into Topaz... Uh, they're AI clear. Their denoise was good, but their AI clear is just the bomb as far as cleaning up images. Do you think that what you like and what you don't like is personal preference, or do you think it's just the tool is that much better across the board? Okay. I What I liked about Topaz denoise 5 and 6 when I was teaching it is that it would take a lot of the noise down on lower-end cameras, you know, when our images that I had back then and some of my students I was working on. The problem was is that it, sometimes it made a lot of things soft and blurrier, and so you had to pick, was it shadow or highlights, which one you wanted to work on. With AI Clear, it'll, it'll add the sharpening in as well as denoising. So it takes care of both at the same time. So say I shot a bear at 10,000 ISO, and even though I'm right on the eyes, you know, the denoising is going to soften that, and the AI clear will start to bring them back out without making them look like they were etched in there. Just makes them a little bit sharper to look at. And then they came out with the newest version of it. It's too much for me. It's on steroids. I've, you know, I, the other one's fine for what I do. But I really like it. I taught a whole classroom about a couple of months ago on it, and I think everybody went out and bought it that evening. It w it's just, to me, that much nicer without adding a lot of bleh to the image, you know? 
Is there I a black like filter? I like it to look kind of natural. Is there a black filter? <laughs> <laughs> it's a black filter. I I like to have it look more natural than overdone. But I never know because I use PCs and a lot of people use Macs. I never know what it looks like on their computer or their Instagram or their feed. I, I don't know. I just try to make it look good on mine. Well, it looks good. Like I say, it's people it need to go check this stuff out because it's really nice. You, I'd be happy to give you guys a little showcase of. I mean, you will. I've pulled up pictures before and after, and people have just sat there and gone, "You're kidding me!" And I went, "No." And the picture doesn't look overly processed. It looks clean. I'll tell you what. If you can, send us a picture, one of your pictures, with and without, and we'll put it in the show notes so that people can see the difference with and without. And just a yeah. just a low res version, so that you can kind of see that, and maybe an image where you it's you know one hundred percent evident that wow, it makes all the difference in the world. It it you know what it really does. I had a, a an instance where I when I work on the ships, one of the expedition leaders was also a professional photographer, very much does underwater. We had a polar bear in the fog get in the water, and we're shooting shoulder to shoulder, and he's like, ah, crap, it's in the fog. Darkroom knowledge that's in this had it works in a way that's hard to explain to people. So when the slideshow came up two days later, he sees a polar bear in, in the water, and it's a beautiful shot. And he goes like this to me after the show. He goes, how did you do that? I was shooting next to you. You couldn't. I went, contrast filter just wiped that fog right out. I already knew that. And he said, but how would you clean it up? And I said, uh, because the, I had to hit it with so much contrast, it almost really took it one way but but it cleared the whole photo and i took the denoise filter the other way and i said what i did with the denoise filters i told it to denoise all the shadows the only thing it didn't bother was the polar bear which is white and the water looked fluid like milk and he looked at me and he goes come down to my room in five minutes bring your computer you're teaching <laughs> this is a guy that shoots underwater and is well known to a lot of people so very honored to sit down and I go, it's just looking at it. You're looking at it going, I can't shoot it. I'm looking at it going, that's a contrast and a denoise right off the bat. And I've got that photo. All that is darkroom, I guess, because there wasn't any Photoshop back then. And you just, you know, film cost money. So you looked at stuff you shot and stuff you couldn't shoot. And I, I don't know. It's just looking at things differently. But I like to be able to do two steps, and I'm done with the photo. I don't want to have to sit there for five hours. Right. Well, I love having guests on our podcast and guests like Shane that I can check off my list for the day and say, I've learned something today. <laughs> Make it even that much better. So thank you, Shane. I am going to check this stuff out for sure. It's, it's cool. Give it, and a, it, give it a try. It, it's nice to, and you can download a trial version of it. And to use their AI, you download the Topaz Studio it, at that part of the plugin, and then you can do the trial version of it and use it for 15 days. But you make a, you have your photo and you make a duplicate layer, and then you go in and do it. And I just I just work on the opacity, meaning how much of it do I want to apply there. Makes it very easy. I don't think the the plugin is that expensive. I think they're only like 70 bucks or something like that. And they run sales a lot. You know, the funny thing is I've owned it for so long. Every time they have an update that they charge people for, they call me an affiliate and just send it to me. I would say 98% of what they send me I don't use because it's getting into more of the HDR and the things like that. I don't have any use for it. 
there's a couple of little things. Somebody goes, you've taken that, and I've, I use this much of it, and look what it does. And they go, my God. And I go, but it's a teaspoon. And it's so easy to go tablespoon if you're not careful. Mm-hmm. And so it's teaspoon to use and, and little baby steps. And I've done a whole image and sat back and looked at it and walked out of the room, come back in and, go, mm, and gone back and taken it down a notch. Okay, so let me just refresh before. So you're Photoshop, yeah. and you're using that filter yes. in Photoshop. I just want to make sure our audience understands. Yes. Because Mark yes. is Photoshop. Ron and I are both Lightroom. So it works in Lightroom. Yeah, it and definitely works in Lightroom. But I, is it is it just as easy in Lightroom as it is in Photoshop, or would you recommend Photoshop if you're going to use this particular setup? I don't use Lightroom, so I don't well, know. I guess the big difference would be Lightroom doesn't have the ability to work in layers. That's oh, it so doesn't. It, oh. So, yeah, if you're oh. doing a different layer completely, then... See, and that's why I think Mark understands all this stuff, because I'm sure there's some of that stuff that goes on when you're processing your images, Mark, right? But yeah. mm-hmm. when yeah. we're doing it in Lightroom, you know, I'm, I'm just like Shane, where I just... If it takes me more than three minutes, I'm, I don't want to yeah. deal with it. You know, I'm just not going to use it. I just go down to to filters, and then um, I open up Topaz Studio. Now, Studio can also be a standalone. You don't have to use it in Photoshop. It it can just open up on its own, and you can drag the image. Raw image. If you, uh, you know what? I process mine after I open them up, but I'm. You're asking me a question. I'm 98% sure you can open a raw image in there. I'm pretty sure you can, but in what it tells you to, if you just go to Topaz Studios, it'll tell you that it's not going to look good because it wants you to make a duplicate layer. And then I, so I always do duplicate layer, put the two together, work on that, and then exit out of it and, and compress layers. I, nobody hardly buys anything, so I have no reason to make, you know, big high-end images. I just make enough image size enough for lectures, and then I just shrink them down for Facebook. Instagram. So this conversation has taken a whole different turn than where I anticipated I'm sorry. it. Going. <laughs> no, no, it's good. It's good. It's all. It's, it's all good. good. You. Are, so one thing I will throw at you, so you can all stare at me. That happens a lot on the tours. <laughs> is they'll say my histogram, and I look at them and go, I don't use a histogram, and that throws so many people. And they go, What? And I go, Your histogram doesn't know what your subject is. Going back to film days, I had cameras I got from my friends that had no light meter in it, and you had to use a handheld light meter. I couldn't afford one of those. You screw up enough, you learn to read the light with your eyes. So I've walked out one day, and somebody goes, settings, and I didn't have my camera up, and I gave him settings, and one guy looks at me, and he goes, you don't have your camera up. Do you have a light? Do you have a light? No. You just learn. And... I find that the more we rely on that camera telling us what to do, I've, it's my own thing that I lose my edge. Every once in a while, I'll grab slide film and go outside and shoot just to make myself stop looking at the back of the camera. We, had, do, we had Charles Glatzer on the podcast not too long ago, and his favorite saying is, everybody's a photographer until M. Yeah, he, he's correct, too. And I love Chaz. I actually got to talk with him one time on the phone. I was buying gloves, and his wife was on, and he got on and talked to me. And to me, that was an honor, I mean, really, to talk to him. And I do, you, it is, I remember I was doing a shoot by, with just me and my husband and Winter, and there was a couple other people standing there. They weren't with me. 
And the woman next to me goes, what are your settings? Because yours looks wonderful and mine doesn't look right. She had similar camera and equipment, gave her settings. She shot it. And her husband looked over and he says, my histogram says you're wrong. And I go, your histogram's wrong. <laughs> and I just looked at him. I go, it doesn't know what your subject. It was white fox on white snow. Okay. And it, how, it doesn't know what you want. So he argued with me for a minute and I just went, whatever, dude went back to shooting and I heard him lean over to his wife and go, what were those settings? <laughs> so it's, they'll look at the back of the camera and they'll shoot. And I see people looking at the back and doing all this and they've missed 18 shots in the amount they're doing that. Or they'll look at it and they'll do this and they'll blow it up and they'll look at all the things. You know, I, I've had a breacher come out of the water. My captain goes, did you get that? And I go, I'll know tonight. Yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm not going to go back and look through. Right, I mean, if you have it, you have it. If you don't, you don't. Staring at your camera isn't going to get it, and you're probably going to miss the next thing that happens. So, I, I think that's so well said. I see so many people nowadays. I mean, we talk about it all the time where having that screen on the back is good, right? Because it is yeah. an educational tool, and you can totally verify, okay, I'm getting that. But you don't need to do it all morning or all evening. You need to do it once or twice and forget about it, and then just keep shooting. Yeah, as I tell people, okay, just bring two batteries out with you, you're good. Person goes through two batteries. You said, well, and I go, well, you've been chimping for two hours. That's <laughs> eating up battery. I, I didn't take that into consideration. I tell them to do a check, you know, check back through. But we've had wonderful moments go down and people burying that camera and they're going back and then something else, momentum goes down and they've missed it because they're looking through there. And I said, you know, I've had wonderful things come up in front of me and I don't look at him. I did not know if I had the, the breacher with the lighthouse until I got back to the B&B that evening. I knew I hit the button. You know where that comes from? That comes from all those slide days where you had to wait a week yeah. to see an image. You know what, though? It's so, it was so much fun because you go pick them up. It was like Christmas. You go through and go, wow, wow, whoop, whoop. <laughs> wow, wow, whoop, that would go. And... I found that I really love going through there and you go back through them and this is just great to look at and people go and they, they'll go on a tour and for the first week they'll post like, you know, 50 photos and then they move on to the dog, the cat, something else. And I go, did you go back through and look at other things in there that you might like? And then I've had them a year later pop up and go, wow, I didn't see this one. Oh, wow. I didn't see this one. It has gotten to be where it's there instead of going back through and because I, I did a, a one class on cleaning the crap and they loved it. And I said, bring in a, a separate folder. And I went through it. And I went bad, 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 bad. And I'm just throwing it all out and say they had four of one shot and I go pick two, get rid of two. And one girl goes, but that's the first picture of the deer I've ever had. And I go, it's out of focus. And she goes, well, and I go, you're going to get a better one. Just get rid of it. If it's your grandma and she's out of focus and she's dead, fine. Keep the photo, you know? It's it's hard when you when you have to tell people just call it. And I've gone like say if I went back to Juno three years ago, I'd probably throw out eighty percent of the photos. It's like how many tails do I need? Yeah. And you have to go through and, and call the crap, but you also sometimes I've gone back through looking for something and found some gems that I never looked at and I went, wow. Okay, I forgot about this photo, and I'll bring it up. And somebody goes, when did you shoot that? And I went, two years ago. When it was film, I shot an infrared image in an old cathedral that didn't have a roof on anymore, and the light was coming in and touching one of the gravestones that was on the floor. 
I never printed it for sale for three years because I didn't think anybody would understand it. And the first time I printed it and put it up, I sold out immediately and had back orders. So you never know, you know, you can have a gym. I kept looking at it on my, you know, how you print a proof sheet. And I knew I wanted to print it, but I thought nobody's going to understand it. So I let it sit for three years until I printed it. So if you guys went back through three years worth of work, how much do you think you would find little hidden gems that you've overlooked? I, I call and delete. Michael keeps everything. And I think that's <laughs> probably why. But, you know, even though I'm going through and calling and kind of doing selections and ratings, yeah. you always find shots that you didn't, you didn't see what was there until you came back and reviewed it later on. And then it's like, all right, I, I miss one. Well, and processing's gotten better. So, like I said, I went back to older images taken on, you know, crop sensor bodies where I had higher ISOs that I can go back and fix now, and they're just amazing. Uh, And it was just, it's not even a mass correction. It's just being able to correct a problem that wasn't there back then. And I really, you know, that's a tool I enjoy teaching other people because they'll say, well, my body is. mm." And one thing on the tours, I recommend gear to people. And I usually go through and look at what they have and I figure out what they're going to need. I do have people, and you talked about this earlier, some people don't know it till they see it. My images look fine, my images look fine. I go, just rent this piece of gear for me, please. Within day two, you couldn't pry it out of their hands. And they look at their images and go, my God, I can count every feather on this bird. I can count every fur. And it does make a difference. We can't all afford that gear, but if you're gonna take the trip of a lifetime, rent the gear to match it. I just, you know, get, get something that you're so happy with that you want to show it to everybody, but it also puts in perspective, you'll go back and look at your past work and go, what can I do and improve? I can't afford this lens, but maybe I can buy a better body that holds up a little bit better. Where do I want to go with this, with my career? Mm-hmm. I think we got That's like three nice. more hours worth of podcast time mm-hmm. with you. <laughs> I'm sorry. This has been fun. I mean, there are so many subjects that have come up that I, that I've, moved on that I just want to go back to and talk about, but it's, it's, yeah, you've had a lot of great insight and clearly have been a wonderful teacher in photography for a long time and have a great eye and skill set that, you know, and as uh, being a teacher, you get all kinds of different people that you have to coach and guide through these adventures, these trips of a lifetime and the challenges with that, but it sounds like you handle it very well. You know, what's nice is they get off the ship after they've been on it for a couple of weeks and an 80-year-old lady comes up and hugs you and tells her, tells you showing her HDR on her cell phone was the greatest thing ever. And one tool changed her whole trip for her. And she gives me a hug. And that means so much to me because it's one little trick. They don't want to take in a lot. You show them one little thing and they're just beyond happy with it. Now, if I could do that with wildlife photographers, <laughs> it would be a lot easier. I have wonderful people, and I have some people that you just, I want to teach you. And I think you were going to talk about my slogan where I say, uh, bring a, an op- bring an Bring a an big op- lens, a small attitude, and an open mind. Yes. Mm-hmm. The middle one sometimes really needs to apply. Right. Absolutely. You're willing to learn and and check the ego, right? If if people check the ego, they will come away with more. Yeah. Chaz and I, 
Jazz and I would love to have seen his podcast because that came up in our little conversation. I said, what do you do? You know, when it gets to that point. And he's just, I told him, I said, I'll pay you if I can sit down and just go through. What do you do in this instance? Because running this is still learning. And you run into different things and you want everybody to have a good time. And there may be some trick I'm missing, something I'm not doing. And it's, it's all still learning to me. I don't know that you have that one. That, well, that could be that one trick, though, with all these different. I mean, <laughs> the amount of people, the amount of difference that you got to see on every trip is incredible. It is. It's um, you know, you can be photographer. Sometimes you have to be human resources. Sometimes you got to be babysitter. Sometimes it's kindergarten, uh, and sometimes it just comes together to the most glorious group. You have so much fun, so many laughs, so many hugs, so many wonderful moments that you don't want to go on to the next one because you're afraid it's not going to be that good. It's, it's all different, and you hold a lot of the ones special that have a lot of memories to you. And there's other ones that you go, I got two more days. <laughs> <laughs> I can get through this. I can make I can, it. I, I can do this. You just, you know what? The bears are your friends. <laughs> <laughs> the whales come and talk to me. It, you, you have some groups that are so wonderful, and they can sit out there and put up with you know quiet nature and be wonderful. And you have other groups that expect something to show up every three seconds. And my guides are wonderful. I, I will tell you, in Kodiak, we were sitting out there one day. It rained for seven hours, and we're remote. It wasn't a hard rain, but it was a Kodiak rain. And my guide goes, well, we can get back out on the boat and go out in the water and look for things. And I said, they can't point their lens out in the water. It's just going to get, you know, water on the lens. They can't shoot. The white raindrops are too thick to shoot through. I turned to my group and I go, do you trust me? And they said, yes. And I go, I think this is going to break in a few hours. And I think when it does, you're going to have the most beautiful light ever. And we don't have a time to come back in because my guide has a sat phone. He calls the wife and says, dinner's late. She goes, good. It means you had a good day. It broke, and when it did, you had that black clouds with that beautiful storm light. It lit up everything. Yeah, you're just, everything came out. The bears came out. You could see through the water. It's bouncing golden light up on their faces. We shot till 9 o'clock that night. Mm -hmm. Nobody complained about the seven hours of rain. They complained about the two and a half hours of the best light they've ever had in their life. So I want that group every time. All right, so here's what yeah. you do. You make this podcast required listening before somebody goes on your <laughs> on your trip. Yeah. I yeah. wish. I, I, I really wish. That's why I admire you guys so much that you go out and shoot together and have fun. I told you. I want somebody like that to go do that. I really do. See, do. you wouldn't because you already you already pigeonholed us. We're that we're that kindergarten group that you can't get a hold of and <laughs> Can't get us to focus and pay attention. <laughs> I don't want. I, no, I don't want to teach you. I just you guys go east, I go west. I don't care. I know. I want to go out with you because I feel like it was, yeah. like I would learn a ton. It, you know what's fun? I only have one guy, Charlie. He's the one I did all the Slot Canyon tours with. He was my guide. He's this old uh, gypsy-looking guy. He's not old. He's just old in wisdom. And Charlie and I went out and scoured the desert looking for tours. And my husband doesn't care that I'm, you know, hanging around with this guy for two weeks because he knows him. We went out and we came out with the, the wild horses. Well, I have two of my own. I'm, 
I love horses. And I, I shot a little bit, and the light wasn't good, and I just put my lens down, and I'm just sitting there like this. And I'm just lost in watching. And all of a sudden, I hear these little footsteps come up behind me. He leans over, and he whispers in my ear, what's your F-stop? I said, Charlie! And he giggled. He goes, you look too relaxed. I had to do that. He goes, <laughs> disrupted me. He goes, it's the most relaxed I've ever seen you, ever. He goes, you were so lost out there. He goes, I had to come and shake you up. But we'd park in one location. He goes, I'm going to go left. I go, I'm going to go right. See you in a bit. And it, it, even if we shot the same place, I was shooting over my shoulder. And I have no problem helping somebody else. I, I would love that if somebody goes, what are you doing? I go, I'm doing this. It's great. Knowledge is meant to be shared. And I remember teaching at the school. Guys would put up a photo in class and somebody go, how'd you do that? That's my secret. And I said, well, then why'd you put it up? Everything I learn, I pass on. And the more I learn, the more I pass on. What's the bother of learning if you're not going to pass it on to somebody? And the look uh, on somebody's face when they learn something new is worth every penny. Yep. Yeah. All right. When's your next Kodiak, or, uh, Kodiak trip? I think I'm 20 or 21st or 22nd, sometime in there. <laughs> I had from Norway... Uh, when I worked on the ship for almost eight weeks, I had one day turnaround. I had Africa. I came home. I had a day and a half turnaround. I had Juno. I get to be home for almost a month. <laughs> that's to me. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. But so, so I, your, I got, your next trip is in August. Yeah. Oh, I was I asking one like, that I could sign up for. Oh. <laughs> uh, you want Botswana? Or you want Kodiak? Or you want Juno? All twenty twenty all has openings. Okay. Yes. Yes, we want them all. All of them have openings. Hey, you know what I'm looking forward to with my next trip? It's all guys. Oh. It's the first time I've had four guys. So I, my guide's a guy. I got four guys that are guests. My, my other guide's a guy, his son, and there's me. It's going to be fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you guys are laughing, but it, it, to me, it's, it's, it's going to be fun. I'm really looking forward to it. Because my guy used to me having a lot of women on the tours, and I, I called him up, and he goes, what do we have? And I said, all, all testosterone. And he goes, great. <laughs> Let's go. So, I mean, I'm looking. It's my first time having all guys on there, so I'm really looking forward to it. You guys are fun. <laughs> it'll, it'll be absolutely fine. I have zero doubt on that. I, I think it's going to be wonderful. So I just have a Kodiak a week off, a Kodiak two weeks off, and then the polar bears. And the polar bears are in Alaska, or do you go to Canada? Yeah, the polar bears are in Alaska. They're in Katovic, that barter island. Yep. I've been permitted in. You're supposed to be permitted in, and they've grandfathered the permit. Luckily, I still am able to get one. Good. And then how many people average on your tours? I take four on June. Um, all my Alaska tours are four. My Africa tours, four on Botswana, but the other two are six. Uh, the migration and Tanzania are six. And there's, I have three Jeeps, so it's two to a Jeep, plus I'm in one helping. And I rotate people in the Jeeps that need help and people that think they don't need help. I just let them have their you know, Jeep with somebody else that doesn't need help. So that way, everybody's together. But they have room. The, the key thing is room. Right. To shoot. 
you know, because people bring like, you know, the bigger lenses, you want them not to be clanking and hitting each other and you want people comfortable. And if you do end up with somebody that um, you have to work around, it's easier to isolate them in a Jeep with me and keep them away from other people. Well, you, you have to have room in those Jeeps to just go all. shoot. Yeah. And it's funny because I'm short. I'm five, four and a half. And I also do spotting with my guide. And so when I stand up at the bottom of the Jeep, it comes up to here on me. <laughs> so they get me a little milk carton crate that I can stand on so I can look up and see. And I just handhold and shoot out the top when I'm helping. And then they they'd, get all the windows. They'd probably have to give me a milk carton crate too. Are you a short too? <laughs> He's laughing. <laughs> Come on. Oh, you got yeah. taller than 5'4". I am, yes. Okay. But they, they so before we before we close out for tonight, because we may end up doing this again at some point, um, talk about the porpsing penguin image that uh-huh. because you have you have several, but yeah. this one this one for me is kind of Mark always talks about on Instagram. You're scrolling through too fast and and you kind of miss some things. This is one where you kind of saw it and then went past and then i was like holy crap you had to go back and because yeah the the technical aspects that it took to get that shot and as it was a so if you guys go to shane's instagram page wild compass and you'll know the shot when you see it so it's a porpoising penguin but it's perfectly reflected had calm water so explain to folks because in the description you kind of talked about what it took to get this shot and you kind of had it in your mind, right? It's, you know, Glotzer summed it up really good when he got, you remember the shot he got of the bobcat with the mallard in its mouth or the duck and yeah. somebody goes, what were your settings? And he goes one, two thousandth of a second or 12 years. And uh, he, I, I wrote, how long his, did it take you to get that shot? Yeah. 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 That's what I really liked. I wanted that shot forever as long as I've been in Antarctica. Now, when I'm in Antarctica, I've worked four years there and I have three to five trips each time I've been there. That scenario has only come up once. And what it took was I had to be high enough up to get a reflection. Normally when you're in the Zodiac and you're level, you don't really have that great reflection because you're eye level. And a lot of times they don't let you stand when they're moving. So the ship was going through very calm water there was a bunch of uh, chin strap penguins swimming. Normally they see the ship uh, and see the bow and they split off. And they're jumping as uh, Daisy just put one up and she talks about their jumping is not timed. It's erratic. They don't follow a, you know, usually you can get in something's rhythm. And a whole bunch, I would say several hundred chin straps were up to the boat and they started to veer, but they were also purposing. I picked one. You can't look at everything. You pick one. And it's a Hail Mary pass that you throw and think, okay, he jumped once and I locked on him. He jumped the second time and they never have their timing all the same. But I threw a Hail Mary pass that he was going to do it a third time. And he did. And it got that with the reflection that I got it. And I have never had those conditions again. And I've never had the penguins be that cooperative again. Like they'll jump and they'll go this way or jump or they'll dive or they'll go this way or that way. It, it looks easy. It is not. In fact, I put that one up in the slideshow, and I had three of the staff come up that are expert photographers, and they said, how in God's name did you get that? And I went, it was being out on deck, 
waiting, perfect conditions, perfect penguin. It's 98% luck, 2% talent. <laughs> kind of. I mean, talent aspects, you had to have the shutter speed. You had to be able to lock. You had to be able to focus. But it took everything to come together for that. And four years, God knows how many trips across that it actually lined up. So it wasn't. Oh, that, was, uh, that was an incredible shot. That'll probably land you back in the Smithsonian again. <laughs> they turned it down. Next trip. Really? Yeah, really. They, they, uh, they didn't like the uh, jumping wildebeest either. They didn't make a cut either. I, I tried. <laughs> yeah. I tried on both great. accounts. But, you know, there's. I, I was honored to be in there. And when I went and saw my image of the polar bears hanging up, I, there was so much talent in there. I felt I didn't belong in there. I almost went over in a corner and did like out of embarrassment. Like people go, which photo is yours? And I went, that one. <laughs> one over there. There was just so much talent hanging in there. there. It was very much an honor to be in there. And there's images that I put forth that I think, okay, this will do good. And they didn't make the cut. So I have three callbacks this year. I don't know that any of them will make it. Well, I tell people all the time, it's so subjective. Um, just take yeah. them for yourself, and if everybody else likes it, great. If not, that's okay. Don't worry about it. Yeah. It's, you, you all understand the technical aspects of what it takes to get an image. And when I put the, the whale that breached right in front of the lighthouse up, you could sit there 10 years from now. You're, you may never get that same opportunity again, same perfect I put it up in one site and people goes, oh my God, luck and talent. And I went, you get it. And somebody else goes, well, I've got a breacher. I've got this. I've got that. There, it's not a competition. It's, it was luck of being in that place. It was talent to get it. I like it when somebody understands. I look at some of the stuff that you guys put up or other wildlife photographers put up. And I know you went out and froze to death, burned up, got eaten by mosquitoes, waited God knows how long to get that shot. And it's amazing. And I understand what you put in it. Some people just look at it and go, well, I got a photo of a caribou. All <laughs> right. You know, I, I appreciate what goes into it and the time it takes to get something that you all put up. I really appreciate that. Yeah, well, goes right back at you. That's a, that's a lot of time to get some of those shots you've gotten. Some but of those behaviors are crazy. It, you know what? It's a lot of it is luck and being out there, but a lot of it is some people spend a lot of time in the cabins on the ship. I'm out on deck 98% of the time. Doesn't matter what the weather is. They knocked on my door in the morning at 3.30 in the morning and go tabular bergs with golden light. I went out in my PJs. I didn't care. <laughs> you know, it's, I, I'm not going to go, yeah, well, I'm, I'm just going to wait on it. <laughs> you create your I, own luck. Well, yeah, it's, you're there right moment, right time. It, it happens, click, or, or you miss it. And I don't like missing things. Right. We, we call Same it podcast here. wild and exposed because Mark will often run out and take shots like that when he's in a Speedo or something. Do we have video <laughs> of this? <laughs> he's got not no, not there yet, but no proof. <laughs> not yet, but we're getting better. There's, there's, I can guarantee you there's no proof on planet Earth that Raycroft wears a Speedo <laughs> because he doesn't. He's not regimental. That's not to say it's worse. It's not. <laughs> 
I love it that it's wild and exposed because it does catch your attention. When you look at that, you think, is this some adult film or these guys wildlife experts? That's exactly what I tell everybody. When you go to type in the name, be careful because it might take you somewhere on the web you don't want to be. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Make sure you type it in correctly. (laughs) And your husband will check your browsing history going, what were you looking at? (laughs) Wildlife. Yeah, it looks like it. I like it, though. It's it catches. It's very catchy, and people look at it, and it's it gets your notice, and people will click on it just to see what you do. We hope people will remember it as a name. It sticks, and, you know, coming out of the conservative corner, as far as perspective, it's exposing a sensor on your camera. Everybody you know, gets that. What's hard it's for like, me is when, some, most uh, of the time. Hey, it gets my attention. When I work on the ships, I don't get much internet, so I don't get to go through and I miss a lot of your stuff on there. But people scrolling are going to stop and look, but your images make people stop and look, too. We hope hope the images and the storytelling, and the good thing about the internet is once it's there, you know, people can watch it at their leisure. The same with your great social media pages, too, so... Well, I'm always open for feedback. If somebody says you can do something better, do this, do that. I mean, without feedback, where do you go? Oh, absolutely. Right. It's sharing. Awesome. You, you've said so many things on this podcast that resonate with our beliefs. And, you know, sharing, not competing, sharing the content. We all have stuff to learn. And I, I'm looking forward to improving and learning from other photographers, other people, on all aspects of what we do. So it, it's been a pleasure to, to hear your perspective. And, and and listen to some of the amazing experiences that you've had. I hope to have many more, but you know what makes my experiences amazing are the people you share them with. Exactly, yep. You, you know, when when I was in Yellowstone I, I, this winter, I've, I'd been shooting some stuff, and then I, I saw somebody pulled over, and I went, oh, bison, then I saw fox. I had never seen the red fox in the snow. I got out, I'm, I'm half-dressed, it's minus whatever. I, I'm sitting in the snow and I'm following the fox and all of a sudden it stops and it does the little cock of the head and I go, oh my God, I hear David Attenborough in my head going, and now the fox is located a vol. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm not gonna see this in person. I actually started to go, oh my God, it's gonna hunt, it's gonna hunt. And David Attenborough the whole time is talking and now the fox, and you watch the haunches drop and all of a sudden it goes up and it dives and I shot it. And I looked up and there was another photographer probably about 100 yards away from me shooting. And we both stopped and looked at each other. And we both went, yeah. you know, it's just that you've got to share that moment with somebody else, even if they're not standing next to you, which is like, oh, my God, I just got a photo I never thought I would even see except on BBC America. And David Attenborough is still talking at me, you know, the whole time. And how the fox is going to go. You see those moments. But even to have somebody that's 100 yards away see the same thing and you both look at each other and go, that was just like (laughs) a moment. It's wonderful to be able to share that with somebody instead of going, mine, all mine. Nobody else is going to see this. No, moments like that should be seen with other people. Exactly. Well, if you guys ever go out and you're lonely and I'm in town, call me. God, that didn't sound right. <laughs> You're running with our name here. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. I mean, to go out and have fun and laughs, and it's not like, oh, we have to get this quote and we have to shoot this. Sometimes it's just out having fun. And you know, I, I want not. I want most of the time, the majority of the time, all the time, not some of the time. So it would be a delight to be in the field and have some opportunity to spend days with you. Absolutely. You know what? It'd be a delight for me too because. 
uh, you know, I don't mind getting dirty. Oh, God, we're going back to your namesake again. We're not dirty at all. <laughs> you know, I don't. I like just grabbing a pair of jeans, running out the door and going out and having fun and shooting for the day and just not worrying about anything else or, you know, like a shirt. My phone doesn't work. <laughs> you guys are laughing. We're going to go the wrong way with this conversation. It's <laughs> so hard. It's about having, it's about having fun. And, and that's how you get the images by being ambitious and just getting out there. Well, I tell my Pete group, I think the animals pick up on what you are giving. And I've given workshops and stuff. And I said, if you come out in a bad mood or cranky mood or you're mad, I think it does resonate. And I think it, it resonates through your group and it resonates to the animals. And some people laugh at me and other people turn around and look and go, she is correct. So mm. when you go out with the least amount of expectations and you have a good time, I think it happens to you. I think it comes to you. Absolutely. And you can sense that in people. If you're in a group of people and somebody's miserable or upset, you know it. And yeah. in these scenarios, you know, on planet Earth with the, the wilderness destinations that you are teaching them at, you know, how, how can they be miserable and what's going on? And hopefully there's a way to, to shake them from that and actually have them appreciate the wonder that they're experiencing through your workshops. Yeah, I'll send them to you. <laughs> <laughs> you can have them. I, I just think every time that any of us gets to step out and step out of the what's going on with all the everything in the world and all the negativity and step back into nature and let that go for a while. I think that's the most wonderful therapy that there is. I agree. And life goes by way too quickly. I'll tell you, I mean, it just seems to be speeding up and, you know, make the most of it, live in the present and make it work so you can have those experiences. Yeah. I didn't ask these birthdays to keep coming. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow. Let's it, stop with that business. You know, it's like I tell people, it's it still is a job, and it, it still is really, it's a lot of work to keep it up. But look at my office. Yeah. Can't beat it. No, you can't. That's You're, a great, and you started with that? Yeah, and we'll end with that. Thank you, Shane, for taking the time to do this podcast this week. I hope that you've all enjoyed it as much as Michael, Ron, and I have to see more of our team's work you can go to Facebook, Instagram, our YouTube channel, and of course, at wildandexposed.com. I want to send a special shout out to our hardworking and talented producer, Missy McKenzie, for all that she does behind the scenes to create this show for your listening enjoyment. And no matter what podcast platform you're listening to us on, Make sure to take the time to hit that subscribe or follow button and to give us a positive review, a five-star rating, or a thumbs up, as those help us to do what we love to do and to bring you this podcast on a weekly basis. Until next time, you've been listening to Wild and Exposed Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.